name is Sanjoy Sanyal, and I'm the founder of Regain Paradise, a boutique clean technology consulting firm. Our new ventures podcast series brings to you conversations with thinkers and practitioners in the area of environmental innovation. Our guest for today is Nancy Wimmer. Nancy Wimmer is an expert in the area of microfinance and renewable energy, an entrepreneur, researcher, and author. A resident of Germany, she has worked in Bangladesh, India, and Nepal in South Asia, as well as El Salvador, Honduras, and Peru in South America. Thank you, Nancy, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Shanjoy. So what was Bangladesh's success in decentralized rural electrification that made you spend a decade there? Well, that's actually quite phenomenal. One of the poorest countries in the world, Bangladesh, has succeeded in providing solar electricity to over one quarter of its rural population. Over 5 million solar home systems now provide rural people who never knew for generations electric light with solar electricity. Nowhere in the world has this happened. The unique success achieved by Bangladesh in rural electrification is the result of a collective effort, many partners, to commercialize solar home systems and to develop a rural market for solar power. Here, new ideas were at work with the resources and the leadership to put them into practice, particularly the leadership is important. The World Bank is investing. It called Bangladesh's financial intermediary as market manager and rural entrepreneurs as solar service providers to village households. Within a decade, over 50 solar companies had provided more than one quarter of rural households with solar electricity. Again, yet unparalleled in the developing world. What's more, a homegrown industry has emerged with skilled technicians, retailers, service providers, and manufacturers, which means that the know-how and the earnings stay in Bangladesh. That's an important, a very important factor. And this is the unique success achieved by Bangladesh. And this is its message to the developing world. Indeed, nowhere in the world. And you first wrote about this in 2012. What did you write about in your first book? My first book is entitled Green Energy for a Billion Poor. How Gameen Shakti created a winning model for solar business. I can remember on my many trips to the villagers with Shakti engineers, how hard it was to explain to people that energy from the sun can light up their houses at night. But the engineers were creative and they soon learned always to have a small battery powered radio with them for demonstrations. They would first let the villagers hear the music from the radio and then before their very eyes, remove the batteries and hook the radio to a half watt solar panel. When the music played on the radio without battery, the amazed crowd shouted, Jorukor, you must be a magician. This is the first story in my book, Green Energy for a Billion Poor, to demonstrate to readers what it means to pioneer a strange new technology to the rural population. 
Tukti, biggest challenges were twofold. One, making solar home systems affordable to the rural population and winning their trust. And two, financing Shakti's expansion in rural Bangladesh. Believe me, this was anything but easy. And just to help our listeners understand, what made you go back and write another book? And what is this second book all about? Right, right. The, the World Bank financed ITCOL, and then ITCOL channeled the financing to rural companies, companies like Grameen Shakti, who were called partner organizations or POs. The financing was both loan and grants. But to understand this, you must first keep in mind the goal of the World Bank Solar Home System Program. From the beginning, ITCOR focused on commercializing the solar home system market. But growing a rural market for solar systems is complex. For example, the PO had to purchase the solar home system before it could be installed. So if, for example, a large PO like Grameen Shakti wanted to install a thousand systems, it had to procure solar home system components worth about half a million dollars and often pay its suppliers in advance. So both big and small POs would need funding to cover their costs to expand and commercialize the solar market. And not only for solar equipment, to expand their branch offices, they had to train hundreds of village staff. Rural business is akin to a rural training academy. Field managers have to be trained to install and repair the solar systems. They have to know how to manage credit and accounts. They have to train their staff how to market solar technology to rural customers, demonstrate how it works, why it's better, why solar energy is cheaper, why it's better than a generator that always breaks down. So where should they get this funding? From commercial banks? Not only were these banks not interested, they charged interest too high for a solar startup to afford. And they were most unwilling to invest in a high-risk business with unproven solar technology for a low-income rural clientele. The same, incidentally, is true in Africa. So ITCOL provided the necessary financing to the PO to commercialize the solar home system market with funds provided by the World Bank. And the financing was both in the form of loan and grants, wasn't it? So this was done in two ways. First, through subsidies or grants, as they were called, were provided to the solar home system customers for the first 10 years. But these grants were gradually reduced in phases as the market developed. In the beginning, the grants were $70 per system but gradually they were reduced to $20 per system and given only for small solar home system less than 30 watt for poor customers. These grants were also performance-based. Nowadays, we call this results-based financing, meaning that the generous $70 subsidy at the beginning was only granted for the first 20,000 systems the POs had installed. After this, the subsidy was reduced to $55 per system and gradually to $20. All of this aimed at commercializing the solar home system market. 
Second, the lending terms between ITCOL and the POs were gradually made more commercial. How? By increasing the interest rates and reducing the loan repayment periods for the POs. For example, the loan tenor for the POs for the first five years was 10 years. The PO had 10 years to repay the loan, but it was reduced gradually to five to seven years within a decade. The same is true in the, conversely for the interest rate for POs. The interest rate was in the beginning 6% at the start, but it increased gradually after a decade to six to 9%. So this was all geared to commercializing the market so that the POs would eventually be able to access commercial financing, but this has not yet happened. A further incentive for the POs to grow the market was the profit they earned with expansion. The POs received ITCOI loans at 6% interest with a loan tenure of 10 years, but they on lent to the solar home system customers at 12% interest, and the customers only had three years to repay the loan. So if the PO, like Kermin Shakti and many others, received 100% repayment, they could earn a profit with expansion. And this was a major incentive for commercializing the solar market. Incidentally, the solar home system program also leveraged private financing from solar home system equipment suppliers. Back in 2003, most of the solar equipment needed to be imported. The success of the program, however, recreated an opportunity for local production and jump-started the solar components manufacturing industry in Bangladesh, where in 2003, there was only one solar battery maker now there are 22. They have nine panel manufacturers where there were none, 74 solar charge controller companies and 83 solar LED light manufacturers. A homegrown industry in Bangladesh has emerged. And you spent 10 years studying this project in Bangladesh. How did you do that? Before I go further, I really would like to thank the Good Energies Foundation for so generously supporting both of my books. This foundation is genuinely interested in rural business, in new ideas, in market-based solutions, in new business models for rural business. They also visit their programs in India and Africa, which is not always the case with investors. The bottom line is you can't learn rural business from behind your desk. I was for months at a time in Bangladesh, in India, and even weeks at the World Bank in Washington, altogether six years of travel and research for the market makers. And Good Energies Foundation made this possible. You know, the Bangladesh model for rural electrification using solar home systems was always that of creating a market. Indeed, you call your second book, The Market Makers. How were the components of a market demand and supply created? Well, that's a good question. The market makers, because the, it was the partners, was the collective effort that created this market. But if you are talking about creating market demand, recall what I just said about the Garin Shakti engineers 
who pioneered solar home systems door to door in rural Bangladesh. Now we have a different situation with the launch of the solar home system project, not only Shakti is, is working in the villages, but 10 successful microfinance institutions, we call them ever MFIs, all work together to promote solar home systems in rural Bangladesh. True, 10 MFIs was not yet much competition, but there was no solar market either, not yet. Unlocking the potential of this market and creating demand for solar home systems was the job of the rural entrepreneurs. They demonstrated the benefits of solar technology. They won the trust of the future owners. And most important, the rural entrepreneurs lived and worked in the villages and in time overcame what we call village mindsets and resistance to change. This is a huge task. Who else can do this? And this is rural business, which is so well understood in Bangladesh. In no other country in the world are there so many successful MFIs with credit know-how, rural branch works, rural branch networks, and the entrepreneurs to create the market. I call this Bangladesh's rural advantage, but there's more. As market manager, ITCO also supported its partner organizations to create demand with national media campaigns for solar power. And ITCO even gave funding to the POs for public relations. So you have brought about the point that in a rural marketplace of sophisticated technology, quality of products plays a key role. How was that achieved? Very good. Also, this is a very important question because the hallmark of ITCO's institutional development is its technical standards committee. This committee ensured quality standards for solar home systems, but not only this, these standards were enforced through ITCO's technical inspectors who rigorously monitored solar systems after the POs had installed them. The POs on the other hand, were under contract with ITCO to correct all technical problems, otherwise they were penalized. And the call center for customers was established for complaints and immediate action was taken. So now you say, why was this so important? If you want to succeed in rural business, you must first carefully learn its fundamentals. If the solar system doesn't work, customers won't pay and neither will their village neighbors their relatives, nor their friends. That's rural business. It's that simple. Important long-term, however, is that by setting and enforcing technical standards, ITCO ensured the development of a rural market for high quality solar home systems. In little more than a decade, 15 million people, rural people, would enjoy the benefit of reliable solar home systems, complete, with guaranteed after-sales service and warranties for the panel, for the battery, and for the charge controller. But one thing I must still mention, and it's important to learn, the Technical Standards Committee was designed to be autonomous, fully independent of IDCO management. And it was headed by a strong-minded chairman someone who doesn't yield to outside pressure from POs or from suppliers, someone 
like a respected vice chancellor of a prestigious university. So listeners, of course, design is important, but it's a human being which makes it work. Right. Obviously, in your second book, you have talked a lot about how it called as the recipient of the World Bank funding was still a startup innovative organization. We all know that for a startup, the management style of the founder is a critical element of its success and failure. Tell us a little bit more about Dr. Fazul Khan, the founder, CEO of IDCOL and his management style. Uh, this was one of the best parts of researching the market makers. You know, it's been said that leaders are human beings with a poorly developed sense of fear. And this fits the description of the founder CEO of ITCOL, Dr. Fojul Khan. He had a goal to develop ITCOL into a national development finance institution built to last, and this succeeded. I asked him how this could work, and he described it, his answer to me like this. Monitoring must be strong from the very beginning because it will be far more difficult when the company becomes large and this is where the CEO's key role comes in. Everybody must know the CEO is monitoring. In the beginning, I spent at least one week a month in the field. I visited customers on the back of field staff's motorbikes. I made field, stiff, field visits mandatory for my team because this is their job. So how hard you work is important. That you cannot be influenced is important. And this example must be set at the top. Then your staff will follow your example. It all depends on the human being. One example that you give in the book, which I particularly was fond of, is the example where Dr. Fozul Khan goes to a small branch office in an island, but he does not take the chair of the officer there. He sits in a visitor's chair saying, this is your office, I'm just a visitor. I think in a hierarchical driven society like many Asian countries, that was a very strong signal for inclusive management. Oh, very important, Shondri, because it's a small gesture, but it speaks, it speaks millions of words. The, the, I know the Shoeb, I know the, um, the Grameen Chakti engineer very well. And this was his first assignment on the island of Shonkip. So he was extremely popular. He was very good. And when Fojul came to the island to see if customers were happy and also to visit his family, he was so impressed with, with uh, Shueb that he went to visit in his office. And that's when that occurred, what you so, so rightly described. It's a gesture. No, you are the director. And if you would have seen these two plastic chairs, they're two old shaky plastic chairs. I mean, you would be afraid to sit on them, but the director's chair had a certain symbolic meaning. And this is not lost. Another thing he did incidentally was um, Dr. Khan asked uh, Shoeb, where do you wash? And Shoeb showed him a fountain out in the back and for Shoeb from his own pocket, um, gave him money to buy a wash basin. So it was, this example must be set at the top. It was this understanding for what the staff is doing and how important it is. 
that was a motor for this whole project. Exactly. So, you know, continuing on this management style, one critical issue in all public sector programs in developing countries is that of corruption. And Dr. Khan thought about this issue a lot as you have written in your book. Tell us a little bit about how he tried to ring fence the organization. Well, that's an important question. And I wonder why this is never or so seldom discussed. I can still remember my surprise when Fojul Khan began our very first interview by describing something no CEO really wanted to discuss. But Fojul began the interview by describing three primary sources of corruption when, when structuring a new company like Itcoin. What are the sources of corruption? They are, first of all, the people he hired. Second of all, procurement of solar equipment. And third, the selection process of the rural companies allowed to participate in the solar home system program. Not everyone was allowed, not everyone was approved. So these three sources he names as the sources of corruption when structuring a new company. His first step to solve these problems was to outsource these tasks to specially created independent committees, very similar to the technical standards committee I just described. All committees were headed by a strong-minded person, a person who doesn't move if you push. All committees were designed to be fully independent of ITCO's CEO, of its employees, and of its board. His staff, I also talked to, told me, Fojul had a different way of walking. He tried to keep ITCO out of all of this. He even kept the politicians out. It was easy for Fourchure to simply say no to what he didn't think are right, and he never gave in to outside influence. This ultimately resulted in building a respected and corrupt free institution. And Fourchure told me, you know, the seed of corruption is always there. It grows by itself unless there are countermeasures. And when it starts to grow, it mushrooms. So you must start early to prevent it. You must do this first on day one of your company. The other critical aspect of the call model is the close working relationship it built with the partners. You call them POs earlier on in this conversation. Explain to our audience what are POs and what is the relationship it call has with them? Oh, that's very good because now we come closer to understanding the meaning of a collective effort I mentioned at the beginning of our podcast. The Solar Home System Project is all about cooperation among very different partners. ITCOL is a partner, the World Bank is a partner, Bangladesh government ministries are partners. But unique in ITCO's approach, very unique, is how it partnered with the rural entrepreneurs, the partner organizations, or the POs, as they are called. It all began with a participation agreement. This was a contract between ITCO and the POs, which defined the rules of cooperation between them while developing the solar market. But whether these rules would be obeyed 
and put into practice in the villages depended on one thing, continuous communication with the rural entrepreneurs. Fojour deemed this feedback from the field so important to the success of the solar home system program that he established another committee, the operations committee, to meet monthly with the POs and it calls management. And so important was it that Fojour shared these meetings himself. Of importance here is that this was institutionalized cooperation with the partner organizations for continuous feedback from the rural market. Important because this enabled ITCO managers to solve problems before they mushroomed and got out of hand. But the real strength of these face-to-face -face meetings lies in its dynamism. I could tell you these meetings were energetic. They were at times cathartic. When PO managing directors presented their problems, they presented their suggestions for improvement. And yes, they presented their complaints to ITCO CEO face-to-face. -face. Solar suppliers were invited to give their side of the story. And field staff were invited to give their view from the village. Everyone listened to everyone. And in the end, the decisions were made. So please remember, the operational dynamic of these meetings lies in everyone being part of the decision-making process. You should remember that because this guaranteed ownership and success to the Solar Home System program. In your book, you write that as the number of partners increased, the model started to fray somewhat. Tell us a little bit about the problems that it created. Well, let's start, Shranjaya, where we left off with the operations committee. What happens when not 10 or 15 partner organizations, as it was in the beginning, but now 50 POs meet for a few hours in Dhaka, and many PO managing directors now send their staff to attend? The problem? It's easy to recognize because then ITCO managers don't get the invaluable feedback from the field, the timely information they need to make decisions exactly when this information is needed most. Then ITCO managers won't understand the signs of a solar home system market in decline and what proactive changes must be made before it's too late. Because to achieve this, they will have to listen to the partner organizations. Above all, they will have to go to the field and see for themselves, to talk to customers, to talk to branch staff, to understand the changes in the market, to understand rural reality, instead of relying on sales growth statistics and village surveys. Another example of problems was too many POs. Solar, solar home system market decline began in 2014, but already in 2012, it was not uncommon that up to eight POs competed for customers in the same village as 47 companies all pushed for more growth. Two thirds of these POs were new to the solar market and still more POs would be approved in 2013 and all of them pushed for growth, and all of them needed trained staff. The dilemma, P 
POs were attempting to expand solar home system sales while the solar home system market was shrinking. Once thriving POs could no longer staff their field branches. New POs hired away experienced managers from their competitors and actually became an open sport and a major problem for all POs. Just speculating, what should the call management have done? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, let's put it well, this way. You, you are in a comfortable chair. You are not. Yes, I mean, I, I, I'll, <laughs> sit back, I'll sit back and dream a bit because I asked myself this question. I still do. But the first thing I want to make clear is that a market will eventually change and reach its inflection point and begin its decline is not exactly a new phenomenon. Important is, is that when a market, a market reaches its point of no return, Business cannot continue as in the past. If it does, it is headed for disaster. Approving more POs when the market is declining is just one example. Important to know is that every manager in every industry must assume that something will change very soon. This is the attitude a proactive manager must have. Managers must therefore be proactive, looking for the signs of change to adapt and not reactive, taking action when it's too late and the damage is done. Because there were many warnings of market change. I'll give you three examples. Customer behavior had changed. For example, poor village customers were hard to reach and didn't pay on time. This meant more trips to the village high operational costs and low margins for the partner organizations. Another, another thing, the labor market had changed. In the late 1990s, engineers were glad for a job as a manager of a solar branch, La Shakti, for example. But a decade later, even in rural areas, there were better paying jobs in construction and in offices and in shops than for hardworking solar technicians in some off-grid village far away from home. Another reason, another sign, the solar market changed dramatically. When unregulated solar home system companies entered the market and undersold the POs, ITCOL introduced pay-as-you-go technology to support its POs, but two years too late. They had to stop the project. And then I ask you, how should any of these problems be solved when communication between ITCO managers and the POs has broken down? Feedback from the field is of the essence in rural business. So perhaps the best lesson to be learned from this experience with market decline is this. If it's hard to make a success out of something, it's an order, it's an order of magnitude harder to sustain that success. These words were spoken by the legendary Andy Grove, but this is something for managers in all businesses to remember, also in rural business. Success was there, but maintaining it is the hardest job. And I must add one more thing, not to forget, despite the late stage problems in the market with market decline, over one fourth of rural households have solar electricity, where for generations there was none. There was none. 
And don't forget the institutions that ITCOL created, despite the setbacks. ITCOL is still there and continues with new programs. <laughs> Were ITCOL the Roman army? You could say it lost a few battles, but it won the war. That's the strength of institutions and primarily because of Dr. Forshokan. And that is very useful to understand because that's really the core of the philosophy of the ITCOL model, that of creating a market. And indeed, as your book is also called The Market Makers. So one thing that puzzles me is that the World Bank was responsible for the funding of ITCOL. It borrowed actually from lessons of a similar project in Sri Lanka, but it all stopped there, right? Now, was there ever an effort to adapt the model to an African nation? Oh, that's, that's interesting because um, I learned about this actually at the bank when I was doing my interviews with the task managers uh, who are responsible for initiating the program in Bangladesh. But these same task managers were at first in Sri Lanka. And it was Sri Lanka actually that inspired them uh, where they saw the potential for solar power and wanted to bring it to Bangladesh. So the bank did indeed learn from the solar project in Sri Lanka, the potential for solar power, for example, and the cooperation between an MFI and a solar service company. But the task managers also learned what didn't work. And what didn't work is that money seldom moves seamlessly when it has to pass through several systems. There is always a danger that the money is not dispersed fast enough and that it gets stuck. The bank's task managers saw this happen in Sri Lanka, where they had a lot of problems with the MFI. The MFI couldn't disperse the money and process the applications to the solar service company fast enough. And this was also the bank's concern in Bangladesh. But Bangladesh solved this problem. Cooperation with all the partners under ITCO's leadership functioned smoothly from the beginning, and there was always a smooth, seamless move of the money from the customers in the villages to the POs, to ITCOL, to the government, and then to the World Bank and back again. This was a huge achievement of ITCOL. Um, as for Africa, I'm pleased to say that I, lessons learned in Bangladesh has incentivized, has motivated the bank to replicate at least parts of the Bangladesh program. And perhaps you have also heard that the bank is embarking on a Kenya off-grid solar access project called COSA with 19 Kenya companies. Please note, not foreign companies, but local Kenya companies. A total of 10 vendors have been selected for standalone solar systems and nine for clean cooking. The objective? These companies are to set up sales and after sales infrastructure for standalone solar systems and for modern cookstoves. That is of course very heartening to hear. Our last question actually, for a German American to have made Bangladesh your area of work for more than a decade, you know, I think shows something about your sense of adventure. For those in our audience who have never been to South Asia or to the smallest country in South Asia, Tell us a little bit about its music and its cuisine. So I must say this took time, but at the end, I loved it. 
I, as far as the music was concerned, um, you see, I always lived with a, with a Bangladeshi family. I was never in a hotel. Um, would play every morning the songs of Bangladesh's beloved poet, Tagore. Every morning I would wake up to hearing his poems being sung. Um, I don't know if uh, my listeners have heard of Tagore. He was the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1913. A very deep poet. And I say that for this reason, because most people do not connect poetry with Bangladesh. They love music, they love poetry. And this is something I really, really discovered. As for the food, well, <laughs> this is something you get used to very quickly. I learned to eat chilies. I learned that the fish's head is a delicacy. <laughs> and a Bangladesh omelet. Wonderful. I do hope that you can come back to Bangladesh <laughs> again and write about another successful journey in Bangladesh's renewable energy history. On that note, Nancy Wimmer, thank you very much. It was wonderful. <laughs> I thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast with Nancy Wimmer, who has helped us understand how public institutions can innovatively deploy development capital to meet climate goals. Follow me on Medium, LinkedIn, and Twitter to get fresh international perspectives of what people across the world are doing in this decade of climate action.